First Church Charlotte. Okay, we're going to look at the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz again tonight. So, um, if you have heard of or read the story or you have any familiar with the story, I want you to pay attention. I want to share some things that I discovered <clears throat> that I think you will find interesting. Um, all right, I'm jumping in. Let me start with the Leviticus 25. Uh, the title of my message tonight will be The Right of Redemption requires a willing and able redeemer. Sometimes the, the, the redeemer is willing, but they are not able. And sometimes the redeemer is able, but not willing. But the Old Testament gave us a law in Leviticus that talks to the fact that the redeemer, in this case, the kinsman redeemer of Boaz has to be both willing and able, right? I'm reading from Leviticus 25, verse 23. Here beginneth the reading of God's word. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. God speaking through Moses, his prophet. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, God says. And all of you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow for a redemption land. I'm going to say that again. You shall allow for, God says, you shall allow for a redemption of the land. Verse 25, if one of your fellow Israelites become poor and has to sell some of his property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So far, that is the scripture I want to read. I'll read some more later on. Again, that was Leviticus 25, 23 to 25. Because God is the ultimate owner of the land of Israel, literally all the land there is on earth, planet Earth and off the earth, uh, he has given us what's called tenant possession of the land. Uh, and in this case that we're talking about in Israel, he's given his people tenant possession of the land. We can find that in Genesis 13, 15 and 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. And because the Israelites were only tenant farmers, you've heard that, right? That they're, they're a tenant farmer or in, in regular real estate, you're a tenant. You live there, you pay the bills, you occupy it, you manage it, you administer it, but you don't own it. God owns it, right? And because the Israelites were only the tenant administrators of God's land, they were forbidden to ever sell the land forever. And in Leviticus 25, 23, God declared, quote, the land shall not be sold forever. For the land is mine and you are strangers and sojourners with me. However, if because of mismanagement or other circumstances, an Israelite becomes so poverty stricken that he's forced, forced, I'll say it again, forced to sell the land, that portion that is in his tenant position, tenant possession. He did not actually sell the ownership of the land. Instead, he sold his tenant possession 
or his ability to administer or to farm it for a temporary period of time. And that's found right here in Leviticus 25, verse 15 through 16, and also verse 27. This is where the law of redemption was given to Moses on Mount Sinai during the giving of the law. And this law was given to Israel to protect the Jewish families inheritance to restore their possession to God and most importantly watch this to produce an heir if it were possible you'll see why as we progress the definition of kinsman redeemer or redeemer was someone that was close to you it was a family member it has to be your kin ergo the name kinsman redeemer close family who was not only willing as i said but also able to redeem what you had lost this could be your physical property the land that you live on it could also be your freedom people were sold into bondage all the time or even your good name and in some rare instances the kinsman might also be called upon to exact revenge on someone who may have killed a relative of yours there's biblical examples for that See Abner, right? <laughs> In short, the kinsman, the redeemer, was actually a rescuer or a restorer of that which was taken. It is important to note that once you accept this responsibility of redeemer, that you know it was not a passive obligation. It was not a responsibility that you could shirk or ignore. There, there were some obligations necessary for the person who would be the kinsman redeemer needed. They needed to pay attention to that. Once again, I'll repeat, they had to be both willing and financially able to purchase back or redeem that which was lost. So the book that we are going to focus on or the story that we're going to focus on tonight tells the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and some other folks, Elimelech, Ruth, Naomi's husband, and Orpha, Ruth's sister. Uh, the book of Ruth received its title in honor of the heroine that we're going to look at tonight. And the story is essentially a character study of those individuals, a character study of Naomi first, of Ruth and Boaz, and how they interacted with each other and the people that were around them, and of course, importantly, with God. The name Ruth means friendship. It could also mean comfort or refreshment. The book of Ruth likely was put in its final form after David became king of Israel in Hebron in 1011 BC. So a thousand years before Jesus Christ was born. Uh, he is recognized as a very important figure in the genealogy of Ruth, by the way. The writer is unknown to us. The writer of the book of Ruth is unknown to us. It's not Ruth, um, but it, it may have been Samuel. Some of the commentators and the researchers suggest that it could have been Samuel or one of Samuel's contemporaries, or, or it could have been someone else. We are not told who it was. The structure and unity of the book suggests that it was written by one person, a single writer, rather than a composite of, uh, of writers 
that put the story together. And that sometimes happened where a piece of the story is found and a, a, a skilled scribe or a writer would, would then interview people and kind of put together the rest of the story. That was not the case here. In this case, it was written by a single writer and they could tell that. If you read chapter number three of Ruth, and I'm going to read some passages here. Ruth, three, Ruth chapter number three, verses one to five and verse eight and nine. Here begin at the reading of God's word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek protection for you? I'll give you the backstory here in a minute, why she needed protection. Should I not seek protection for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were with today in the fields? By the way, he is sorting barley tonight at the threshing floor. Go wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet only and lie down next to him. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, Naomi, I will do. Verse seven. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over from sleep. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. She said, spread your your cover, your wings over your servant, for you are surely a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed this day by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. There's a whole lot in that in that text. Uh, you have not gone on after younger men. So Boaz is much older at this point. And while Naomi is probably his contemporary in terms of age, Ruth is much younger, right? And he says, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For everyone around here know that you are a worthy and upstanding woman. In studying and preparing for tonight's teaching, I discovered something that I did not know quite so well before. There's a little wrinkle. As it turns out, the law of redemption stipulates, if you were to re continue to read in Leviticus, that it should be the closest relative that is first in line to redeem the person and property that was lost. So now go to chapter four of Ruth, verse one. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the first redeemer that was in line with whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, my friend, and let's sit down here and talk. And he turned aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down and then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who was come back from the country of Moab, she is now selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, her dead husband, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and 
see if you would buy it in the presence of those that are sitting here, the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then please redeem it. But if you will not, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it. And I am second in line after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So he's willing, right? The first criterion is, is met. He said, I will redeem it. But then Boaz said, but the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead. Remember her husband died and her sister's husband died, right? You will acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself then, lest I impair my own inheritance. You can take the right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Everybody with me so far? Shake your head. Yeah. Okay. The interesting thing about this story and something that I never focused on before this teaching is the fact that Boaz was not first in line to be the redeemer of Naomi and Ruth. The way this story has always been presented to me was that he was the kinsman redeemer. He was it. And eventually he became the one, but we didn't know that someone else had to pass it up first. He was not the closest relative. He was a relative, but he was not the closest relative. And according to Leviticus 25, uh, the closest relative has first dibs, right? There was this other unnamed relative who was first in line for the position. This person was willing to redeem the property until he realized there was also a widow that he would also have to redeem. I want you to read the word support in that text. This he either did not want to do or could not afford to do. So he gave up the right of redemption, which is where Boaz grabbed it. Upon doing this, again, Boaz was next in line and became the kinsman redeemer for both Naomi and Ruth ultimately redeeming their property and their name. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. If you continue to read the final verses in chapter four of the book of Ruth, there's only four chapters. The final verses indicate that Boaz eventually marries Ruth and the great grandchild of that marriage ends up being King David himself. So if you look at this story closely, in fact, the fact that King David uh, comes from this union is saying that there's something special going on in this book. And I didn't want to miss it. Later, we know, of course, that not only is King David a descendant of Ruth and Boaz, Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, comes from this lineage as well. So let me back up a little bit. The story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz comes to us as one of the most moving accounts in the Bible. And, and again, I'm giving you a context and I'm also giving you a background, but I'm also teaching uh, one of the lessons, one of the many lessons of this story. If you have not read this story, read the book of Ruth. Read the book of Ruth for yourself. 
<laughs> the events occurred during the period of the judges, right? So many of you may know the organization of our Bible. The first five of books are the books of Moses, also referred to as the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then the book of Joshua, which comes immediately after that, chronicles the conquest when God say go and claim the land. And even if there are giants there, you are surely able, right? You remember the spies that went out to spy the land to see if they can go in and take it. And so Joshua comes after the law. We call that the period of the conquest, the period of the conquest. Welcome, Michelle. But after the period of the conquest begins a period in Israel of the judges. These were not kings. Wasn't time for kings yet. Remember, there were prophets and there were judges and there were kings, right? In this case, these judges served, if you will, what's the best term? Maybe administrators, administrators of uh, both people and property in Israel. The, the events uh, that we're reading about occurred in the period of the judges. And again, it was 100 or so years before David became king of Israel. It is set in the midst of a great hardship and tragic loss of the people of Israel. The story focuses on loyalty and faithfulness, which again is contrasted with the people of Moab, which is where they eventually went to and came back from, which as you know, the Moabite people are, are idol worshipers. So, this story, again, when you read it, you will recognize that it's a clear example of God's faithfulness in bringing out his plan of redemption using unexpected partners, unexpected places in amazing ways during a time when uh, God's people were frequently unfaithful to him. In the beginning of the, the book of uh, Ruth, you will read in chapter 1, verse 2, uh, that <clears throat> this story begins with an Israelite family, the patriarch of which is Elimelech, or Eli Melech. When I, I, I spoke with a, an Orthodox Jew, and he said the proper pronunciation is Eli Melech. Um, Naomi, his wife, and they have two sons, Malon and Chilion. They traveled to Moab, a city east of Israel, which today is the country of Jordan. Originally from Bethlehem of Judea, this family had to leave their land and inheritance because of a severe famine that was in Bethlehem at the time. Soon after they got there, tragedy struck and Eli Melech or Elimelech died. Both of Naomi's sons married uh, Moabite women. And this is where we meet Ruth. One of the sons married Ruth and the other son married Orpha. More tragedy. Within 10 years, both sons died, leaving Naomi and her two daughters without husbands, without protection, without sustenance. This is a precarious position to be in. And I know many of you are aware of it, but let me just pause and say that this is a hard uh, place to be for a woman in this time. 
the hopelessness of this situation and the the desperation in which these women find themselves. First of all, they lack connection because everybody that connected them to the larger family and clan had died. Right? And they lacked protection from the family group and clan. Um, but now they were outside, they were outside the patriarchal clan, cut off from the clan's protection and provision. And their losses were devastating in every way. There was no family member to help them, and so they had no means of providing for themselves. Options for such marginalized women were very few and often quite unpleasant. They were completely dependent on the generosity of others. And usually what happens is they, they end up having to beg in the streets uh, because they faced extreme poverty, starvation, or probably even worse. Rape and abuse was common. Naomi, or Omi, for some of my friends, and Ruth decided to return to Israel after God had provided food for his people there. So now Bethlehem is, is coming back. The, start, the, the famine is over. And in this case, Naomi and her two daughters, uh, Naomi said to her daughters, come on, let's go back. Let's go back. But as you know, the story, one of the daughters, Orpha, says, y'all go, I ain't coming. Remember now, Ruth, uh, Naomi has nothing, right? She's a survivor, but she was returning with nothing. But Ruth chooses to leave Moab behind and decided to put her fate in the hand of Naomi and Naomi's gods, right? Naomi's God and the people of her place, right? She had no idea how things would work out, but there was no turning back now. And again, if you've read this story, you'll remember Ruth's famous plea to Naomi in Ruth 1.16, when Naomi said to her, leave and go back to Moab with your sister-in-law uh, to be among that family because they have stuff. They can uh, protect you and they can provide for you. But Ruth said, don't, don't ask me to do that. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I'm going to go. And where you live, I'm going to live. Your people shall be my people, and your God is going to be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. Watch this, this oath she takes. May, may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. That's the famous quote that Ruth tells Naomi. Don't ask me to leave you. Don't ask me because I'm not leaving. The only way I'm leaving is if one of us die. Right? Now remember, Naomi, Naomi has lost her husband, right? She she she's deeply discouraged. She lost her two two children, her two boys. Right? And she was certain at this point that the hand of the Lord is against her. Uh, read Ruth 1.13. She believed that God himself had made her life bitter. So she told people, don't call me Naomi anymore. I'm not beautiful. Call me Mara, which means bitter waters. So when she and Ruth decided to go back to Bethlehem, 
how could they have known what was ahead of them? That 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 her life was actually going to turn from bitter to sweet. What she thought was bitter. In the midst of their loss and out of their calamity, God was behind the scenes orchestrating an amazing plan uh, for Naomi and Ruth and for their lives that would affect not just them, but all of humanity through the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who, spoiler alert, is a direct descendant of Ruth and Boaz. People often describe this book as a true love story, and and it is because it contains the essential elements of two people growing in love in the unique way of this Eastern uh, culture. But as this love story unfolds, we realize that it is not just about them. It's more about the love shared between two people, but it's also about God's amazing love for all of mankind. Specifically, his desire for his people to not only experience his love for themselves, but to reach out and display it in such a way that God is made known to all his lost, hungry and desperate people. We read in our text that Ruth's request for Boaz to throw his his cloak or the edge of his, his, his cover, his blanket over her in Ruth 3, 9. Um, this has several meanings, each of which I had to I had to research uh, because it highlights a desire for her to be faithful to his family from then on. When she said, um, extend the corner of your blanket over me in Hebrew, that word translate corner translates to the word wings. So that's why she said, throw your wings over me. In effect, Ruth was saying to Boaz, protect me with your wings like a bird protects her young. Be my redeemer as God commanded to you in the Torah so that in your actions, your provisions and your family, I will find also God's protection and take me as your wife. Watch that. Take me as your wife for in your protection, I will find God's provision and protection. So this story portrays love and faithfulness. The faithfulness of Boaz is also demonstrating the faithfulness of God, who out of his love for all humankind commands his people to care for the poor and thereby making his name known. We also see Boaz display what is called in the Hebrew, has said, has said, a merciful, compassionate, grace-filled, loving kindness. In the Hebrew, it's has said, and this is in particular towards a foreigner. In this case, Ruth is a Moabitess. She's, she's from Moab, a pagan nation. We see Ruth growing uh, in her love for this family and for Naomi and for the God of Israel, whose amazing love was drawing Ruth into another Hebrew word, Beth Ab, uh, in the Hebrew word meaning the father's house. Boaz and Ruth are a beautiful example of the way that redemption worked in this patriarchal culture. God included this practice of redemption, common in the ancient Near Eastern culture, in his instruction to Moses 
on Mount Sinai. And in so doing, he explained his role as father or patriarch of all and his desire to redeem family members and the entire creation, restoring them fully in relationship to him and to each other. Thus, this story highlights the righteous and faithful character of Boaz, but it's also a picture of God himself working the plan of redemption from way back when. After God used Israel to bring Ruth fully into his community, she joined in the mission to redeem others. She became the great-grandmother of Israel's heroic king, like I mentioned, King David, demonstrating that a foreigner could be completely assimilated into God's people and become his instrument for redemptive purposes. Jesus being a descendant from David, also in both blood and through his mother Mary, gives him legal kinship through his father Joseph, gives him legitimacy as Messiah to Israel among his first Jewish followers. Jesus, being a descendant from Ruth, makes it clear that the Messiah would redeem not only Jews, but all of humanity. For Christians, this book represents an early sign that the Messiah would liberate all of humankind, not solely Jews, and that Gentiles, non-Jews, would also join in God's community of redeemed people. In the mission of restoring God's lost children back into full relationship with him. And that's what's happening now. So here, Ruth show her love by putting her mother-in-law's needs above her own. She searched for a way to support them both. And the Mosaic law provided for those who were less fortunate by, by ensuring some of the crops were left in the harvest for poor people. We read this in Leviticus 9. They left it at the edges of the field. And this was done uh, deliberately so that those in need could go by the fields and gather. Ruth found a field where she could work and pick up the extra grain uh, that the harvesters had left behind for, for the poor. She began early in that day and labored all through the night, taking only a short break, the Bible says. Boaz, a man of wealth and influence in the community, owned, happened to own the field that she was grazing in. News had already spread about this Moabite girl who was kind and loyal. And when he went there that day, a young woman, dusty and hot, bent over after gathering sheaves all day. He asked about her. Who is that? He asked one of his servants. And when Boaz met Ruth, her story already had predisposed him to the kindness and affectionate uh, kind of a person that she was, and he was drawn. The Bible says he offered her protection, he offered her water and extra grain. He invited her to share in a meal, and he said to his workers, make sure you treat her well. Perhaps his heart was moved with compassion because he himself, watch this, he himself, Boaz, was a product of a story of redemption as well. If you do the research, you will discover that Boaz was a descendant of Rahab the prostitute, who once hid Joshua and the spies, rescuing her and her family from destruction. 
both Ruth and Boaz are found in Jesus's genealogy in the first chapter of Matthew. Both came into Judaism from the outside. They were foreigners. So neither Ruth nor Boaz seem to recognize in the beginning Boaz's position as kinsman redeemer, as described in Leviticus 25. And so the kinsman redeemer possesses, has to possess the requirements for redemption. The position was one of relational rescuer. Someone not only able, but willing to redeem that which was lost. And it is obvious from the text that Naomi was delighted when she discovered that Ruth was gleaning in Boaz's field. You, you, can, you can hear her excitement in the words that she, she uttered. She, she exclaimed, this man is our close relative in Ruth 2.20. He's one of our guardian redeemers, she exclaimed. It is very possible that her matchmaking instincts went into overdrive, like it sometimes does for some of us. Now, the question lay was, was he willing to act as kinsman redeemer? And did he have the financial means to do so? Now, even before Ruth met Boaz, her story of devotion and honoring God was known and little did Ruth know how her actions on the road to Bethlehem towards her mother-in-law, Naomi, would endear her to the heart of Boaz when he heard of it. And this is a man that she hasn't met yet. So Ruth and Boaz's loving kindness towards others is an inspiration for us, for couples and for families. This Hebrew word that I gave you earlier, the, the word has said, brings abundant reward into this romance. It's translated, hang on one second, it's asking me to extend the call. I didn't know I was going that long already. It said is an attribute of God. It's translated into English as love, mercy, faithfulness, loyalty, goodness, and loving kindness. These are attributes of God shown in action throughout this book of Ruth. We also see it in Boaz's treatment of Ruth. But even before they met, in Ruth's kindness to Naomi, we also see this has said, this loving kindness, this loyalty, this goodness, this mercy, this faithfulness. It is also found in Ruth's sacrifice when she left her homeland and her willingness to embrace her mother-in-law. She demonstrates it when she leaves behind her Moabite culture and her Moabite family, and she embraces the God of the Israelites. Ruth displays this said as she works diligently in the field and exhibits it in her actions of humility and obedience at the feet of her kinsman redeemer. Instructed by Naomi, Ruth quietly did what she was told. She lay down at Boaz's feet after he fell asleep after a day of work. Startled and awake, Boaz recognized Ruth's act in inviting him to become her kinsman redeemer. And he also knew it to be an act of kindness because he says in Ruth 3.10, your kindness to me is greater than that which you showed early on the road from Bethlehem. Here you have not run after younger men, 
whether poor or rich, which tells us that he was an older man, right? We see this in Ruth chapter number three, verse 10. And the story that I was uh, suggesting earlier, because of this closer relative, Boaz graciously promised to see Ruth redeemed, whether through that nearer relative or by himself. When, when the nearest kinsman declined his role as redeemer, Boaz bought the land and pledged himself to marry her. Boaz did the right thing in the right way. And that's an example for us too. Doing the right thing in the right way. That's what I mean. The inspiration for us Christians today also flows through the parallels of redemption by Jesus Christ. We too were empty handed and lost. Jesus Christ willingly paid the price for our salvation. In, in effect, redeemed us. So he became like us, taking on humanity, but without sin. While once we were destitute and broken like Ruth and Naomi, we now have hope like Ruth and Naomi. Boaz and Ruth's relationship gave birth and blossomed uh, loving kindness throughout this text. The rich significance of Boaz's selfless act and loving kindness brought on abundance. We too are wooed and embraced by the loving kindness of God through Jesus. Boaz and Ruth's union blessed them with a son by the name of Obed. You will now know where Obed came from if you read David's genealogy. The Bible says in Ruth 4.16, then Naomi took this child in her arms and cared for him like he was her own. And the women living there said, hey, Naomi now has a son, in essence, a grandson. Naomi, once impoverished and desperate, found joy and meaning abundant love and security filled her life again. Naomi, who was childless because both her boys died, she was a widow. She now became the grandmother of King David and the great grandparent in line with the Messiah. I'm closing. I, I, I wanted to give you enough color and context so that you can understand that when you read the stories in the Bible, they're just not, they're not snapshots. They're connected. They're connected, especially when you read a book like Ruth. The book of Ruth seems out of place with all of what we were given with uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy of the law, Joshua, the period of conquest, and then judges going through all of the judges of Israel, Gideon and Boaz and Deborah and so on. But then Ruth, after judges is Ruth. So what can we learn? Number one, there's always a bigger story. We, we like Naomi, are prone to desperation in situations, but God guided in unseen ways to bring Ruth and Boaz together. And though the events may have seemed circumstantial, they accomplish eternal import and result in God's economy. Number two, God was always at the helm. His sovereign encompasses our lives and moves happenings around, just like pieces moved around a chessboard to accomplish his will. Ruth and Boaz found each other because a sovereign hand of God led in the everyday affairs of their lives.
Number three, number three. Remember that loving kindness is a divine attribute. For those of you who are not kind, and I know that nobody on this call could not be described as not being kind, but we need to work on being kind because it's a godly attribute. Boaz and Ruth's coming together is, is much more than a sweet Cinderella story. It's loving kindness in action and affection. It's an attribute of our Heavenly Father. And one whose life belonged to Christ, who is filled with his spirit, will reproduce this fruit. We see that in Galatians 5, where the fruit of the spirit is enumerated. Loving kindness is there. In fact, the Christian faith should be marked by this character trait, loving kindness. I'm almost done. Two more. Number four. Jesus is the ultimate redeemer, as is pictured in the story of Boaz redeeming Ruth and Naomi. This, this love story pictured something yet to come. Jesus, our true kinsman redeemer, came that we might have life. His loving kindness rescued us from our sins and redeemed us from eternal separation from God. And finally, joy and hope are never out of grasp when you're dealing with God. No matter how dark life becomes, Jesus is still our joy and hope for eternity. Happily ever after in this life is just a shadow of the glorious truth that awaits those of us who are redeemed by Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's all I have tonight. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.